Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it is a pleasure to be here with all of you. Uh, for those of you who may not know me, my name is David. Uh, I am one of the pastors here. I'm the youth pastor here at New Life. Um, and yeah, it's my, my great joy to be with you this morning. Um, as Justin said, today marks the first Sunday of the Advent season. Uh, Advent, meaning arrival, is a time leading up to Christmas when we anticipate the birth of Jesus, of God coming down in the form of a human. So if you've been following along with us uh, for the past couple months, you know that we've been going through Matthew for a bit. But this month we'll be switching it up and going through a series that will help us focus on the anticipation of the coming King. And for those families who may have bought the Advent series blocks, our hope is that this series of sermons can also help guide your family devotional time. Um, so as we talk about Advent, as we talk about the arrival of Jesus, what we look forward, we think about anticipation, the anticipation of the birth of Jesus, the anticipation of the promises that God uh, has fulfilled in him. When we anticipate something, we are waiting with mixed emotion for something that we feel is close to happening. As children, most of us probably entered this month of December with an excitement, anticipation for Christmas. As the weather, you know, got colder and lights began to pop up in stores and on houses, there's a sense of expectation and wonder. All month long, a buildup to the day <coughs> when we would gather with friends and family and open up presents. For most of you here, that's probably, you know, the morning of December 25th. Uh, for my family, that day was December 24th. That's December 24th, Christmas Eve, is when we would have family over or we would go over to family's house Younger cousins would play around, older cousins would watch movies, adults would hang around, talk, play games. And for us, we eagerly anticipated the striking of the clock at midnight, because midnight meant it was now December 25th. And that is when we would gather around and we would open presents, and we would be up until three or four in the morning, just uh, having a good time with each other. But there was a sense of anticipation of waiting as children, you're counting down the hours till you can open those presents. But anticipation can also have negative uh, emotions attached to it. There may be fear or anxiety about something that's on the horizon. Perhaps you're waiting for a phone call and you don't know what's on the other end of that phone call, if it's good news or bad news or no news. And so you're filled with some anxiety, some nerves, as you anticipate this phone call. Anticipation is a way for us to prepare for the future, whether we know the specifics of what's happening or not. And so today's story, uh, today we're going to be looking at the story of Abraham and Sarah and the promise of a son that was given to them. And so we'll see how anticipation played out in their story. <coughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, for a couple who was well advanced in age, the promise of a child seemed ridiculous. Yet for God, we can see a time was never an issue. 
what he had promised, he would deliver. And though the promise seemed to be slow in coming in God's plan, it was never delayed. And so God's people can believe his promises because they are attached to a covenant God who will never go back on his word. We will get to see the fulfillment of all of God's promises. So we're going to start the story in Genesis 15. If you have your Bible, I'm going to read the first six verses. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So the story of Abraham and Sarah, the story that if you grew up in church, you're probably pretty familiar with. It's one of the first stories we get exposed to in Sunday school. Uh, we have songs you know, about Father Abraham had many sons. And so we're going to today just kind of take a look at this entire story of Abraham or Abram as he's first known and Sarah and how they're waiting for this son. And so we're going to go back a few chapters to Genesis 11, 27, where Abram is first introduced. He is the son of Terah. He lives in Ur of the Chaldeans, alongside his wife, Sarai, who is described in verse 30 as barren. She has no child. A description that gets to the heart of the story, and yet, probably not the way in which she would want to be introduced. Raise your hand here if you would love to be introduced by the quality trait that you're most insecure about. I don't see any hands. Yeah, none of, none of us want that. There's a running joke in the Hispanic community that our nicknames tend to be the things that we are most insecure about. And we joke about it, and then we go cry in therapy about it. But I have a relative who, for the longest time, her nickname was Vampire, because when she was a kid, her two front teeth fell out at the same time, and they said she looked like a vampire. And that name stuck with her long after her teeth had grown back in. But it's, you know, that insecurity that, oh, here's, here's what's funny about you, and we're going to stick that to you. And so it is with this description of Sarai. She is described as barren with no child. She probably preferred not to be introduced like that. But what we see is this is the area of her life in which God would do a miraculous work. And so the story continues in Genesis 12 as God calls Abram to go from his country to the land that Yahweh will show him. And there he would make of Abram a great nation. 
And so this required Abram to have faith in the God who appeared to him. First, Abram would have to leave the comforts of his city life. He would leave Ur of the Chaldeans to be a wandering nomad for the rest of his days. How many of you here are willing to leave your houses in order to wander around with no home to call your own? Not many of us. We like our houses. We like our homes. We like the security of knowing here is where I go to at the end of every day. And so Abram would set off with some family, but he would never again return to Ur. And Hebrews 11.9 reminds us that Abram, by faith, went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents. He would spend the rest of his life wandering, but he would do so because Yahweh had called him to do so. The second way which Abram showed his faith in God was that God had promised to make of him a great nation. And clans and nations, they're known by the one who fathered them, by the name of the patriarch. But Genesis has made it clear that Abram has no son, no one to continue his lineage after he was dead. And in verse 4, we see one of the main problems here is that Abram was 75 years old when he left, long past the age to have a child. But in faith, he goes out. And we see chapter 12, verse 7, that Abram reaches the land of Canaan, and the Lord appears to him once more and says that to Abram's offspring, he would give the land a repetition of the promise. And so when we get to Genesis 15, this is God establishing his covenant with Abram. And he says to him, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Words that Abram needed to hear. He had just faced off against a coalition of five Canaanite kings. And he may have been afraid of retaliation. And so the Lord says, I am your shield. Truth for every believer, just as it was for Abram. The Lord is our shield and we do not need to fear. And so the Lord comes to Abram and repeats the promise, your reward shall be very great. So what was this reward? The promise of the land and of the son that he would receive. And Abram responds, oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. I commend Abram for his honesty here. He's straightforward. He is candid with God. He says, look, you promised me a land. You promised me offspring. But I have yet to see how any of this is going to be fulfilled. I still have no son. In fact, the one who will inherit all of my possessions when I die is my most trusted servant. How can a great nation come from Abram when there's no biological children to carry on his name? And so Abram is honest with his fears and in his, his insecurities before God. God has given him a promise over and over again. But where is the offspring? 
Abram's doubts take over. And who among us wouldn't be in his shoes? If we heard a clear promise from God, and it's been years and we have yet to see something happening, we also would be asking, Lord, where are you in all this? And so the Lord replies, this man, Eliezer, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. So the Lord takes him outside and says, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. So shall your offspring be. And so for this observation, I give credit to Pastor Adolfo of Nueva Vida. He brought it up to attention. And it's interesting because if we look ahead at verse 12, chapter 15, verse 12, it says, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. So the sun goes down later. What we're seeing is that when God is talking to Abram at the beginning of this, it's probably daytime. And so many of us have heard this passage as the Lord leading Abram out into the night sky and saying, look at these stars, number them, which would have been an impossible task for Abram, let alone any of us. But if this is happening during the day, the meaning slightly changes. How can Abram number the stars when he can't even see them? It's daytime. It's impossible to number stars when it's day. The sun outshines them all. So how can Abram count the number of his offspring when he can't even see the first son that will be one of many offspring? Yet Abram has faith that the stars are there. He may not be able to see them, but he understands that once the sun goes down, the stars will be there. And so he may not be able to see in this moment how God is at work to bring him offspring, but he can understand that God's word is a certainty. God will keep his promise to Abram. And so verse 6 of chapter 15 says, he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram, though he still had no proof that a son would be born to him, yet he believed the Lord. And it was his faith that was counted to him as righteousness. The Apostle Paul later in Galatians uses this example to show that even before circumcision came into place, to show the relationship that the Israelites would have with Yahweh, Abraham had already been counted as righteous due to his belief in God's promise, due to his belief that God would do as he had said. There was nothing Abram had to do. It was solely by faith. And so it is with all believers today. There is nothing that we have to do, no number of works that we have to accomplish, no checklist where everything has to be done perfectly. We are made righteous purely by believing in God's promises, by having faith in who God is and what he has said he will do. Faith is all that is required of us. And so as the story progresses, we see God establish this covenant of circumcision with Abram in Genesis 17. And it says that he is 99 years old at this point. It's been 24 years since the initial appearance of God 
calling Abram. And the section is, Abram's name is changed to Abraham. Sarai's name is changed to Sarah. And the promise is repeated once more. I will give you a son. But in verse 17 of chapter 17, what is Abraham's response? It says, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Abraham laughs at the idea of this promise. He is 99 and Sarah is 90, close to 100. If you're here and you're over 75, how would you love to have another child right now? <laughs> yeah, I see a lot of, a lot of shaking heads. There is a sense in which we laugh at this because we also understand just the biological impossibility of having a child at such an old age. Abraham's reaction, we can understand it well. However, God repeats his promise once more. And he tells Abraham, you will have a child. And you will name him Isaac. And the promise, God says, this promise will be fulfilled within a year. And so the Lord in chapter 18 of Genesis he comes again, and chapter 18, verse 9, says, They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of woman had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Sarah thinks she can hide her laughter. She, her response to God's promise is the same as Abraham's. She laughs. Skepticism. And she thinks she can hide her laughter. And then the Lord calls her out and says, Why would you laugh? And just like any of us would probably do, uh, Sarah denies it. And she says, I didn't laugh. God says, yeah, you did. And that, you know, that's probably followed by an awkward moment of silence where Sarah didn't know what to say. And she probably just walked out or something. But the Lord asked her, is there anything too hard for the Lord to do? And as a congregation, we can reply, No. There is nothing too hard for the Lord to do. And so we come to the fulfillment of this promise in Genesis 21. The Lord visits Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. 
Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. <coughs> the name Isaac means he will laugh. It's an ironic reversal of the laughter that both Abraham and Sarah had offered previously. God had repeated his promise to them, and Abraham had laughed, Sarah had laughed in skepticism, but now they laugh in delight because what they had long awaited for has finally arrived. The child of the promise is here, Isaac. And we see, I, we see Abraham is 100 years old. Sarah is past 90. Abraham had been 75 when he left Ur. The promise of the son took 25 years to complete. <coughs> 25 years. 25 years of fears and anxieties. Abraham set out with his nephew Lot, and he saw Lot get married and have two daughters. And no doubt there were moments when Abraham must have looked at Lot's family, been like, Lord, this is my nephew, who is much younger than I am, and he has received his family. Where is my inheritance? Abraham and Sarah had gone to Egypt in these 25 years, where they had dealt with deceit with the Pharaoh there, for they were fearful, not trusting that the Lord would be their shield as he had promised. Abraham and Sarah had even tried to take the promise into their own hands, taking advantage of Hagar's status as a slave. And when she gave birth, Sarah's jealousy drove Hagar and Ishmael out into the wilderness to, drive, to die. And yet the Lord was merciful to both Sarah and Hagar. 25 years of Abraham wandering 25 years of them rejoicing in the birth of the sons and daughters of other people. 25 years of being around others who dwelt in cities, and yet they still ha didn't have their land. And yet God was still faithful to Abraham and Sarah in the midst of their doubts, their insecurities, their trying to control their own future. No matter what they did or didn't do, God was still in control this entire time. And although the promise seemed slow to come for them, God was at work behind the scenes. And the birth of Isaac was proof that God was sovereign. Sarah was 90 years old when she gave birth. Who else but God could have been behind that? So how many times have we ourselves been in that place? We've poured our heart out to God for the desires of our heart. Perhaps it may be a family member who has left the faith, a desire for a relationship, the desire to be reconciled uh, to a family member or a friend where that relationship has broken apart. There's so many things that cause anxiety to well up in our hearts. <coughs> How many of us are able to be patient and wait on God's promises? How many of us are willing to pray for the unbelievers in our lives for years, if not decades? 
How many of us are willing to wrestle with God throughout the night for an answer to our prayers? How quickly we grow discouraged when the Lord doesn't answer us right away. We are a society of consumers. We're used to binge-watching an entire season of a show in one day rather than waiting for each episode to come out week after week. We want our two-day Amazon Prime delivery, and we groan if it takes over a week. We embrace emails because they were quicker than snail mail, and the second text messaging became available. We embraced it because it was even quicker. We are a people who desire everything to happen right here and right now. And as a result, we have lost the gift of patience, the virtue of patience. If God doesn't, our answer, if God doesn't answer our prayers in that moment, we grow discouraged. We may give it a week or two of praying, but eventually we decide, well, it doesn't seem like the Lord is going to answer, so I may as well move on to something else. The idea of waiting 25 years for a promise to be fulfilled seems incomprehensible to us. Even Abraham and Sarah were vexed and felt like they had to take matters into their own hands. And yet God was still good and at work in all of this. And so we see three takeaways from the story. The first is God keeps his promises. God kept his promise to Abraham and Sarah. He gave them the child that they longed for. And though it took much longer than they would have hoped for, longer than they probably wanted, God never failed. In the same way God keeps his promises to us, it may not always come in the timing that we would prefer, but God is not slow to forget his promises. What he has said he will do for us, he will accomplish and we see that Abraham and Sarah's story begins centuries before they were even born with Adam and Eve. Genesis 3.15 shows us the first mention of the gospel. Adam and Eve and the serpent stand in judgment before God. And so God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Adam and Eve, in the moment of their disobedience, were still given the comfort of the promise of a son who would bruise the head of the serpent. And no doubt this was what was on their mind as their eldest was born. Would Cain be this promised son? Would it be Abel? Hope turned to bitterness as Cain raised his fist against Abel, killing him, and being exiled in shame. And yet God still didn't leave Adam and Eve alone. He gave them a third son, Seth, born to them. And through Seth, we would see the lineage of Noah and then Abraham. The promise was still in effect as each generation awaited the one who would give them rest from the toils of this world. And this promise to Adam and Eve would find its partial fulfillment in the Messiah, or in uh, the birth of Isaac, as a genealogy through which the Messiah would come starts to get narrowed down. 
And so God's promise to Abraham and Sarah would also be fulfilled in the birth of Isaac. As they see the promises that took, over a, that took a quarter century come to happen through the birth of their only son. And God's promises to his people would eventually come to fulfillment as Isaac would be the father to Jacob, who would be the father to the nation of Israel through which the Messiah would come. And so the second takeaway here is that we see is that God can take our areas of pain and discomfort and turn them into areas of rejoicing. Sarah began the story as the woman who was barren, who had no child, but she ends the story as the one who rejoiced in the son that was given to her in her old age. And so for many of us here, we're carrying scars where we cannot comprehend how God can be at work in the wounds that we have sustained. It may be a divorce, a miscarriage, the loss of a job, a diagnosis of health that reminds us of our mortality, the scarlet letter that we carry around with us, the shame, the thing that we think everyone is surely thinking about when they interact with us. All of us hate those areas of pain and discomfort. And yet, how precious are those moments when we can see how the Lord is at work in those circumstances, how the Lord has not left us in our brokenness. Proverbs 30 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Let me not get too comfortable in my life where I start to forget the one who created me and sustains me. But also to let me not get to that place of despair where I intended to deny my father and say that he has abandoned me. One of the aspects of new life that I am most grateful about are the life groups that we have. And my encouragement to you is if you haven't gotten plugged into a life group, to do so. Because every Tuesday night, I gather at the dinner table of the Sachs family. And as a community, we share our highs and our lows for that week. We have shared the hardships of seeing family members walk away from God. We have shared the hardships of saying, my family is being ravaged by sickness right now. Share the hardships of saying, it's hard to raise infants and toddlers. And it has created a space where I also feel comfortable coming to this group and saying, yeah, these are my hardships. These are the things that are weighing me down. But in the life group, we come together and we pray for each other. We encourage each other. And we've seen prayers being answered. And we've gotten the chance to persevere in those prayers that have yet to be answered. There are prayer requests that are shared at that table that have been shared long before I was even part of that life group. But it is encouraging for me to be able to come alongside people in their journey 
and pray with them and inviting them to come and pray for me. And there's moments where we can rejoice around the dinner table in prayer that has been answered, perhaps healing that has come from an unexpected place, reconciliation that has happened, moments of joy. Moments, uh, these are moments that at one point were full of discomfort and uncertainty for the people involved. And now we're able to rejoice with them. <clears throat> and so all of us have those moments where God has turned our pain and disappointment into joy. The things that we were praying for all of a sudden being answered in ways that we didn't expect. These are moments where we can truly say, the Lord has turned my bitterness into rejoicing. So the third takeaway is that Jesus is proof that despite how slow God may seem to be moving, his delay is not a sign of slowness, but rather of his mercy and grace. So once again, we'll go back to the beginning, to the story of Adam and Eve. They long awaited the one who would bruise the head of the serpent. They anticipated Maybe it'll be Cain. Maybe it will be Abel. But it would prove fruitless as one brother murdered the other. They may have then looked to Seth to bring about their salvation. And Seth would also prove to not be the Messiah that they were looking for. But Seth's lineage would be the one to call upon the name of the Lord. We go down his lineage and maybe... It was Noah, whose name means rest. But Noah also wasn't the fulfillment of this promise. So through Noah would get Abraham, Abraham to Isaac, to Jacob, to Judah, to David, to Jesus. And it is in Jesus where we find the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament. Jesus is the one who would bruise the head of the serpent, even as the serpent bruised his heel on the cross. And so this is the anticipation of Advent, the promise of God's presence with us. God's promises to his people being fulfilled. Matthew 1.23, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is the complete fulfillment of God promising to be among his people. Adam and Eve were promised a son who would bruise the head of the serpent, and they would not see the fulfillment of this prophecy in their lifetime. It would be millennia later that Jesus would come, that he would live the perfect life, that he would be killed by the powers of darkness. And though it seemed as though death was winning, we see that even as the heel of Jesus was being bruised, the head of the serpent was being crushed. The son that was promised came to reverse the effects of the fall. Sin was atoned for, death was defeated, the devil lost his claim on earth and humanity. Likewise, the promise that was given to Abraham of being made into a great nation, of being one through which all the other nations would be blessed, would not be fulfilled in his lifetime. 
nor even in the lifetime of his son or his grandson. Abraham's grandson, Jacob, would give birth to 12 sons. These sons would sell one of their own into slavery. And through that, God was still at work. And eventually they too would come down to Egypt and their children would be enslaved. And 400 years later, these children would be delivered and a great nation would indeed come out of Egypt. But it wouldn't be until Jesus came on the scene that the nations would truly be blessed by the offspring of Abraham. Though the promise seemed to be slow in coming, when it finally came, the reward was great. Many of us are still waiting for God to show up in different areas of our lives. We've brought our prayers before him time and time again, but we have failed to see a reply. And it may feel like God is moving too slowly, or even that he's not moving at all. Certainly Abraham and Sarah would have felt that way in their 25 years of waiting. But when that child was born, their laughter of skepticism turned into a laughter of rejoicing. And so we can trust that God is still at work in our lives, behind the scenes, even when we may not see how he is moving. All of us have prayers that have been answered right away. Things that we have prayed for within days or weeks, we've seen that answer, the answer to that prayer. Other prayers, however, may take decades before we see an answer to them. And yet we can trust that God is at work. There are prayers that we will not get an answer to until we're on the other side of eternity. But we can still trust that God is good and that he is sovereign. And so it's in this Advent season that we look forward to the promise of God's presence with his people. The Old Testament saints looked forward to the day when the chosen son would be born to deliver them from darkness and death. And in Jesus, those promises are fulfilled. He was the promised son that came, that stepped into our broken and sin-filled world, lived a perfect life, was offered up as a sacrifice, and rose again, showing that he is Lord over everything. For all of us who have placed our faith in him, we can be assured that we have been delivered from death, from sin, from the kingdom of Satan. The gospel is a good news that all who place their faith in Jesus will receive the fullness of God's promises, that his spirit will be with us, that we will have resurrection into life eternal, and that God will dwell with us for eternity. We do not look to the coming of a child who will deliver us, for we have already seen that play out in history. Instead, we eagerly anticipate the next great promise, our great hope, the return of Jesus. Second Peter 3.9 reminds us that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The church has waited 2,000 years for her Savior to return. Generations upon generations of Christians have faced the darkness of the world, 
and have longed for the return of Jesus. It could be discouraging at times to look at the brokenness, at the darkness of our world, and we wonder, Jesus, when will you return? It's been 2,000 years, and it seems like you're no closer to coming than you were 2,000 years ago. But as believers, we do not lose hearts because we know that God's promises will always be fulfilled. What he has promised will happen. Jesus will return for his people. He will be Emmanuel, God with us. And we shall spend eternity rejoicing for what he has done for us. As the hymn says, Oh, that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face. Full arrayed in blood-washed linen, how I'll sing thy sovereign grace. Come, my Lord, no longer tarry. Bring thy promises to pass, for I know that power will keep me till I am home with thee at last. Let us pray. Father, we give thanks for your word. We give thanks for your promises that are always fulfilled. Abraham and Sarah waited 25 long years for the son to be given to you, to them, but you still came through for them. Your people waited thousands of years for the promised son to come, and finally Jesus stepped into this world, and we give thanks for the work that he has done for being the one to reconcile us back to you, O oh Father. And even now, we await the return again of Jesus for, for his people. We wait in a dark world, but we know that even though it may seem like you are delaying your return, you are still at work in all of this. And we can long for the day when you return, when creation will be made new, and we can rejoice knowing that our God will be with us for eternity. Amen.